0: Stop.
1: I know you all traveled here to church, but I feel like traveling on, amen. not naturally, but spiritually, amen. taking a step into another dimension, amen, amen. Let's take our Bibles together, I won't keep you standing too much longer, and I welcome you all to the house of the Lord, and it's good to see everyone made it back home safely from Saskatchewan, um, except for my red-haired friend, he's still vacationing amen well we love them anyways god bless you brother John, and sister hannah they're probably in church tonight in saskatoon but i know you've been welcome brother steve sister lillian it's good to see you it's been years since i've seen you you don't look a day older god bless you you have to tell me your secret afterwards but you're looking fine god bless you amen amen let's take our bibles turn to the book of uh ephesians ephesians chapter 5 we'll just read one verse there And then we'll go directly over to Romans chapter 8. I don't know, brother, if you could turn this fan off, that would be fantastic. Thank you. Amen. I'm kind of a funny preacher sometimes, I wish I could use the fan because it would keep me cooler, but if I use the fan, I won't have a voice by the time we're done, so... I just have to suffer in the heat, I guess. Amen. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27. says that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Amen. Let's just bow our heads together before we turn to the other scripture. When we invite the Lord to come and give the meeting behind the words. Right. Amen. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we love you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you are always mindful of us. Thank you, Lord, that, Father, there's times that we can be used of you. And, Amen. Lord, that the spare tire, as myself, can be taken out of the trunk and put on when the main tire is a little flat. But, Lord Jesus, we thank you, Father, that we've come tonight, that you're always faithful, Lord. Wherever two or three are gathered in your name, you said you'd be there in the midst of them. And, Lord, we ask tonight, Lord, that you would once again fulfill your word, manifest it within our lives, Lord, and draw us closer to you. Help me just to get myself aside, Lord, and not be so nervous, but, Lord, that you would just have the preeminence in the service. May the hearer also, Father, get themselves aside, Lord. To allow you to come and speak to each and every heart that's here tonight. Father, we commit now the service, the remainder of it, to your hands in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may have your seats if you like, and if you take your Bibles and go with me to Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, verse 22. We know that in Ephesians chapter 5, he would speak about husbands and wives, and husbands love your wives, even as Christ so loved the church, and he gave himself for it. The next verse is the one we read that he might present it to himself. And tonight, Lord willing, I'd like to title it, if I could, God putting his self together. God putting his self together. And I know maybe his self isn't really English, but it's Brother Branham's English. I like pulled that out of a quote God putting his self together. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 22 says, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in t- together in pain together until now and not only they but ourselves also which have the first fruits of the spirit even we ourselves groan within ourselves waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our bodies amen and and this is a very a very familiar portion of scripture to us but i wonder if we could just start here in this this thought of 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 a groaning within ourselves, and a, a groaning, and as, as, as he would speak about and say, the whole of creation, it groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. It's not something, groaning isn't something that is just uh, um, a complaining, that, that maybe is a lighter version of it, but this groaning it's speaking of is, is, is a sighing of oppression, actually. It's a sighing of oppression that the oppressor would be removed. That whatever it is that, that's stopping it from fulfilling itself, that's stopping it from manifesting the fullness of what it desires would be removed and it causes a groaning within itself as creation is groaning because humanity and, and the sin really has become an oppression over the world that desires to fulfill what it was designed to fulfill when in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And he put out the seed so it would perform and it would it would bring forth of its own kind. But man has taken that seed and it has hybrided and it has caused it to do this and do that and do all these different things. But the creation is groaning, desiring to go back to what it originally was. To go back to its original creation. Trying to throw off the sin and there's disasters and there's there's earthquakes in diverse places and there's hurricanes and there's tornadoes and there's seemingly forest fires going on at an increased and increased rate. Because there's a travailing in the world. There's a travailing in the earth looking to throw off this civilization. But also there's also a groaning in the soul of the believer that's desiring to put off this, this byproduct of this flesh and desiring to be clothed with a new body, desiring to be clothed with something that is more fitting, that isn't oppressing to the manifestation of what is on the inside. Amen. And we know even if we could, and maybe I'll just take it in John chapter 11, and you could turn to it quickly if you want, but John 11 verse 35 would record a very short verse in the Bible, which is Jesus wept. Jesus wept, it's as simple as two words where it says Jesus wept, somebody weeping, and God himself, when you think of these words, it isn't, it isn't just a man weeping over another man, but it's God in human flesh weeping for a reason, for a cause. In other words, something would cause God to weep something would cause God to, 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 to be sorrowful enough to shed tears during this time frame. And it was the time frame we know that Lazarus had, had, had died. But if Jesus had heard the news that Lazarus was sick and he had decided to continue going away, and they, they finally said, well, Lazarus is dead. He says, yes, that's wonderful. We'll, we'll go and we'll go down to him. And he said, well, Lazarus sleeps. They said, that's wonderful. Let him sleep. He said, no, I'll put it in your terms. He's dead. And he comes to Mary and Martha. And we know the story, how he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And whatever you say, whatever you believe, it'll happen right now. Whatever you're going to believe. And so she, Lord, I believe that you are. And I believe whatever you say, it will come to pass. And I believe your word, Lord. And finally he comes down. He says, where have you laid him? And when they show him the place where they've laid him, he begins to weep. And in this weeping, I'll say it this way. It wasn't a weeping over the death of a friend. It wasn't a weeping because Lazarus had left this life. It wasn't a weeping because Jesus knew what was going to happen. Jesus came down. He already told his disciples, I go to wake him. I'm coming to wake him up. There wasn't a weeping over death because he already had an understanding of exactly what Lazarus was going to do. He was not going to remain in a dead state. But actually that was the reason he was weeping because Lazarus was not going to remain where he was. Because Jesus knew that Lazarus was resting on the bosom of Abraham. That he was there and in the eternities. He was already over in paradise waiting for Jesus to come. And he knew what it was like over there. Because he had—he didn't bypass his theophany. He knew what the other side was like. And there was a weeping that began to come when he realized, I have to call him back from that place. I have to call him back from the place of eternity. Amen. And even the next verse, it would say how the Jews, they looked at it and they said, oh, he must have loved him. They took it in the wrong way. And some of them said, could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused them this man who have not died? But Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself. Amen. There was something coming when he realized we're Lazarus was. I'd like to be there. Where Lazarus is. This was a man not only about 30 years old, but he looked to be about 50 because of the body that was on him. But rather he says, I would like to be there. There was a groaning even in Christ saying, oh, there where Lazarus is is a better place. The body that Lazarus has is a better body. Amen. The tabernacle he's in is a better tabernacle. It's a more perfect and more pure. There's a desire within Jesus to say, oh, I wish I could just step over there, but my work is not yet finished. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. We know how the end of the story goes and exactly what happened. It's not really a story. It's a reality. It's history recorded, supernatural history. Amen. A sorrow because he had to bring him back from the other side. That's the kind of groaning that is within the believer today. A travailing desiring to throw off this tabernacle. Desiring to throw off this sinful body. Desiring to throw off this oppressor. That seems to Stop. What, what it would desire to do. That there's a war within myself. That when I would do good, evil is present with me. When I desire and there's something within me. The Holy Spirit that's desiring to manifest the word. There's something on the outside. That's an oppression of that. And there's a groaning and a travailing wanting to throw those things off. And just step into a more suitable body. Hallelujah. A groaning waiting for what? Waiting For the adoption. To wit, the redemption of our bodies. To wit means to ascertain, which means to be made sure of. The adoptions makes Colossians 5.1 a certainty. Colossians 5.1 says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. The adoption doesn't make that, and I hope so. It makes that, and I know so. That's why Jesus could stand there, and when they said, oh, we'll kill you, we'll do this, we'll do that, and he looked at the temple, he said, turn down this temple. In three days, I'll raise it up again. It didn't matter to him. Why? Because he knew it was not a maybe. It was not, well, I hope everything works out. It was a certainty. He had ascertained to it where he recognized and he knew the word of God has to be made manifest because I've received it into me. And I know that the words that I speak, they're the words of God. Amen, that's why he could say it, whatever happens, it doesn't matter, God already spoke and said, I will not suffer my Holy One to see corruption. Amen, he didn't specifically say it'd be three days, he wrote it in a tight form, said, I will not suffer my Holy One to see corruption, and he knew, he took the revelation of that and began to speak those words. Oh, praise be to God. Hallelujah. The adopted son of God, speaking the word of God, isn't just repeating scriptures verbatim exactly what they say, but it's taking the scripture, it's becoming revelation, and speaking out the revelation of what was written in there between the lines. Hallelujah. By adoption, it's not a matter of if, but when. Hallelujah. An adopted son doesn't look at the body change, say if, it's just when. In one place, Brother Brennan would talk about the rapture, he'd say, even all those dead ones of the bride of Christ down through the ages will be raptured up out of the ground because there's ones down through seven church ages that have come to a place of adoption, and it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Hallelujah. It's not a matter of, well, if I, I live to see the end. No, it's a matter of whatever happens, I know I'll be there. Hallelujah. To be birthed by his spirit in your soul. The new birth, you become a babe in Jesus Christ. But, there you, but to come to a maturity of sonship. A place where the random would talk about the adoption ceremony. He would talk about how it wasn't that you weren't a son. You always were a son. Amen. Hey, man, you, you always were a son of God. But when you get the revelation, Jesus Christ says that you become, it's a revelation of what you always were, but now you're just a babe in Christ, but now to bring that to a place of maturity, amen, a place where you're walking according to the leading of the Spirit. We walk by the Spirit and not by Walk by faith and not by sight. Amen. We live according to the Spirit. But to come to a level of maturity, let us go on, the Bible would say, not leaving aside, but let us go on unto perfection. Amen. It says, but this, this, and now what is adoption? Adoption, we know just to sum it up quickly, is not just being a babe in Christ. It's, it's just, it isn't just being identified by name, but it's being identified by word. Amen. It's not just taking because when you are birthed into Christ, you take on the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You are Mrs. Jesus Christ. But now when you become an adopted son of God, God identifies himself with you and says, your word is my word. Like you did to Jesus on Mount Transfiguration. It wasn't just this is my beloved son. It was hear ye him. Amen. Hear the words that he's speaking. Praise be to God, because that's what it is to come to when the Son begins to say, His name on the check is as good as my name on the check. Amen. God identifies that He's with you, and your word is His word. Then it isn't your speaking, it's Him speaking. I wonder if we could go together to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, verse 18. Sorry, Brother Ethan, I don't think I gave you the scripture, but we'll read verse 18 to 31. It says, but it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing. Amen. It's good to be zealous towards a good thing. And not only when I'm present with you, in other words, don't put on your game face when the special speaker comes around. Make it every day. It says, my little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, but I stand in doubt of you. Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, and one by the bondmaid, and the other by a free woman. But he that was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. So now he's bringing this in, and he says in the very next statement, which is, which things are an allegory? And he's talking to the Galatians here, he's saying, this this is an allegory I'm trying to lay out to you to help you to understand where you're at. I, I've, I've, I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. In other words, I desire that you come to maturity. I don't want you just to be birthed. I want you to come so Christ is formed in you. So that way the character of God becomes your character. Amen, so I want those things to be happening. So don't don't, don't just say, well, I'm in Christ now. I'll just live the best I can according to the law. That's what they were trying to do. Well, we'll try and pick up the circumcision, the law, and we'll just do the best. He says, no, 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 no. There's greater things. We're not under that covenant anymore. We're under a new covenant here. This is speaking an allegory. You say there was a bond woman and there was a free woman. There was a one that was born to the bond woman, a bond son. He says, but that, that, that one was not free. But there's one that was by the free woman. That was by promise. That's what I'm talking about. We don't live under the bondage of, of the law. We're living under the promise and the liberty that is in Jesus Christ. Amen. Which things are an allegory that these are two covenants. The one of them, uh, one from Mount Sinai, which genereth to bondage, which is Hagar. He brings the law. In. What was Mount Sinai? The law. Which genereth to bondage, which is through Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. Amen. And answereth to Jerusalem that now is. So the natural Jerusalem. He says, and is in bondage with her children. A natural thing. But he says, but Jerusalem which is above. What Jerusalem's above? I, John, saw a new Jerusalem as a bride adorned for her husband, ascending down. A new Jerusalem. Jerusalem, which is above, is free. Which is the mother of us all. Oh, I want to make that very real. Which is the mother of us all, for it is written, Rejoice, thou barren, that bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate have many more children than they which hath a husband. He's still speaking spiritually in this scripture. See, in other words, the ones that are married to Christ... It's a small number. They have a small amount of children. But the ones that are not married to Christ. And they've got this lover and that lover. They're of a great number. And millions and a million more. And 44. And they got more and more and more. And how many children they got. But they're not, they're not born of a proper relationship. That's right. Says but now. But we brethren as Isaac was. Are the children of promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the Scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the, free, of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Amen. Hallelujah. We're not children of the bondwoman. We're not uh, illegitimate born children. But we're children born of the heavenly bridegroom and an earthly bride, bringing forth sons and daughters of God. Amen. Hallelujah. That's right. Let me bring this quote in from from Christ is the mystery. He says, "The new birth is Christ is a revelation, and God has revealed to you this great mystery, and that's the new birth." He says, we know that the new birth is a personal revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, but now what are you going? What are you going to do when you get all that group together? And then the next statement is where the revelation is perfectly in harmony and God expressing it through his word by the same actions. So when you get the group together, that group, the one that's been born again. And they come together not in a physical location, but together in Christ. The revelation will be perfectly in harmony because they got the same Father. Amen. He says, and his through his word, by the same actions, the same things that he did, making the word manifest. That group will do the same things he did. Oh, if the church only knew its position, it will one day. Then the rapture will go when it knows what it is. Amen. There's that's a lot in that, in that quote, and we love that last part. When the church knows who they are. But I want to just back up a minute and go back. to When that group gets together. When you get that group together, that group is the bride group. The bride of Jesus Christ. When you get them together. In a spiritual baptism, all of them, as a whole, married to Christ. That's by revelation now. Now listen, I, I just I need to take this slowly so that way it just comes out right. The bride of Christ is a many-membered bride through seven church ages. Let me say it this way, unless you're the only person that is born again in all seven church ages, you are not alone the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ is the body of Christ. But as we read about it, and, and, and listen, as we read about it there in, in Galatians, he's saying, we're born Jerusalem, which is of above which is the mother of us all. So in other words, there's the body of Christ. There's the head, which is Christ. When they come together, it manifests the word and brings forth offspring, which is sons and daughters of God. You can't break the type. So in other words, you personally are not going to bring forth and bear a son of God. But the body of Christ is made up of children of God, is made up of sons and daughters of God. Amen. Now, right before the seals were opened, Brother Branham would preach, preaches the breach. God in simplicity, he preached the breach between the seven church ages and the seven seals. And this notates in this this message, he, he begins to notate the filling or the bridging of the breach or what that breach is. We would talk about and say there had to be somebody. He would talk about down through the different, before 1963, he would even talk about there had to be somebody that could stand in that breach and put their hand on sinful man and on God and bridge, the, bridge that gap. And, 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 but now, I want to say it this way, that, that, that breach is not filled by the breaking of the seals. That is not what filled or what bridged that gap. But the breach was caused by sin when fellowship between God and man was broken in the Garden of Eden. And the revelation of the tree of life became a seven-sealed mystery. Which no man was worthy even to look upon, let alone to loose the seals and open that book. We know these scriptures very well. I could read them all in Revelations, but I think you all know them by heart. But, But we needed... And we needed redemption and the work of a kinsman redeemer had to be done to repair the breach between God and man. It needed to be the blood of God's own son. That God himself had to come down and take on human flesh. But the purpose of the blood was to create a union again between God and man. In other words, the marriage of a heavenly bridegroom and an earthly bride. It it laid the groundworks, It laid the the, the avenue. It laid the way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, Jesus is saying, I'm the way that this is made possible. Man could not ascend to where God was. God had to come down and come down to where we are at in order to bring us to where he is. As we would say, he had to come and take our place so we could take his place. It couldn't be the other way around. He had to bridge that breach. He had to come and make... But as he bridged the gap with his own blood, he reached down to earth for a body that would receive his own spirit. We can look at it. Brother Branham would talk about how different ones in the Old Testament. He would talk specifically about Job. He said, when Job seen the coming just one, the one that could stand in the breach between sinner and God and bridge the way, that perfect seed and he said, these seeds is corrupt, and I see them go into the ground, and his son would come and mourn him over him, talk about his own self, he said, this, this, this is corrupt, and it go in the ground, and someone come mourn, but what happens, well, what happens, and oh, everything else, you know, the tree dies, and it comes up again, the flower dies, and it comes up again, but what about man, what happens after he dies? And Job finds himself in this place, but he said, Then he found out that there was one coming who could bring back perfection to the Word of God again. Amen. That would make a way that would bridge the way. Then the prophet got in the Spirit and began to cry out, I know my Redeemer liveth, and in the last days he shall stand upon the earth. Hallelujah. Though after the skin rooms has destroyed this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Hallelujah, that he had to come and he recognized he needed somebody in bridging that gap, Jesus would make the statement, will I find faith when I come? In other words, he says, I've bridged the gap, but is there somebody that will receive what I'm giving? Amen. Because he's desiring again to restore fellowship. The purpose was in restoration of fellowship between God and man once again to restore us back to who we were we originally were. But it was to be in the form of a marriage union. And Christ, we know, Christ is the masculine. His body is feminine by designation. Amen. Let's see. I can read a lot of quotes, but I, I'm, I'm trying not to. Created a new, his, his body, feminine by designation, created a new creation after his own image, taken from his side. It's amazing how the scripture always is. Just like Adam was created, both male and female created he them in spirit form. First he created them in spirit form and he was both male and female together in that one spirit. There was both masculinity and femininity dwelling together, but first it had to be in spirit form. Then God said, I'll give you a body because it was in that spirit form that he told him, go forth and multiply and replenish the earth. How is he going to do that just as himself in one person, in masculine and feminine? I don't know, maybe God had a way, but that wasn't God's way. He said, No, I desired to make him a body. And he formed a body out of the dust of the earth. Amen. And, and Adam became a living soul. And as Adam began to walk and as he began to see everything going on, he recognized and said, It's not good for Adam to be alone. So he took out of Adam, he took a rib out of Adam, put him into a deep sleep and he took a rib out of Adam. And we noticed, Brother Branham, we even talked about it, he'd say that, oh my, he'd say that the body of Eve was a byproduct of Adam because it was formed just from one rib. He took and made the whole body. He says that was a byproduct, but the spirit was not a byproduct. Adam was both masculine and feminine, and God took the spirit of, the feminist part of the spirit of Adam and put it in the woman. God didn't call her Eve. Brother Red was preaching on this recently. God did not call her Eve. It was after the fall that Adam called her Eve. Amen. But we find it was, it was God's called her. And he said, this is the woman. Adam named her the woman at the beginning, and then we find that that's the way it was because it wasn't a different person, even though it was separate flesh. It was the same spirit. Amen. These two will be one. Amen. Hallelujah. Let me just take a minute on the human veil here and then we'll just step back into this. The Reverend would say, so you'll be when you, when you come from behind that human veil that would laugh at a meeting like this. The human veil, our humanity that would come into a meeting like this and, and just laugh at it and say, oh, there's nothing to it. That man who would stumble at divine healing And say the days of miracles is past. When you drop from behind the human veil, the traditional veil, and everything will know, everybody then will know that something happened to you. In other words, when you stop hiding behind just the humanity, just the flesh, just yourself, the carnality, and God drops something in your heart, everybody's going to know. He says, well, you when you come up from behind the veil, you'll be in full view of the people then when they can see that something has happened to you. The veiled word to the unbeliever, to the unbeliever, the word of God is veiled. It's a book that they can't understand. It's a book that they're trying to outlaw because of the things that are written in it. Because they don't understand what it is. And they say, why aren't the book of Maccabees in it? Why isn't the book of Enoch in it? Because those don't fit the love letter to the bride. And this is a love letter. And God was watching over it that he wouldn't put a bunch of just history. But there was a purpose to it. It wasn't just a historical event, but it was reality. God saying, this is for you. This is my love to you. This is who I am. And it becomes revelation to the heart of the believer that begins to recognize, this is my husband. This is my lover. This is my Lord. This is my all in all. This is everything to me. Because it's not just a book. It's not just nice words. It's not just poems. But it's God's love letter personally to me because to the unbeliever it's veiled but it's in full view to the believer hallelujah jesus christ the same yesterday today and forever then it was god in them days the days of jesus it was god in a man his son jesus christ we believe that not just a prophet not just an ordinary man An ordinary human, it was God in Christ. God in man, the fullness of the Godhead bodily in a man. God in a man. Now, it's God in men. Then it was God in a man. Now, it's God in men. The fullness of God in the Godhead bodily in his entire church manifesting himself, fulfilling his word. Now we find God, all ages, has had skin on him. God has been hid behind a veil. And I told this to a man. He said one the other day, when this, when this, uh, uh, when this piece had come out about this man being healed, he said, and a minister came to him and said, Brother Branham, they make a God out of you. Well, Brother Brown says he was a critic, so I thought I'd just break it, off, break it off just a little bit. Not to hurt, you know, but I said, is that too far from the Scripture to be that? Amen. See, I said, no, it isn't. Because Jesus called prophets gods. Small g, gods. That's right, God. And they say, well, you people try and take the place of God. Now he takes it not just you, Brother Branham, you people try to take the place of God. Brother Branham says, That's not too far out. That's exactly what it is. He repeats it. That's exactly God manifested in flesh. Not because he's doing something new. No, the next line says, Just as he promised. Just the way he promised, he would do it. Just like Jesus could come and say, destroy this temple. In three days, I'll raise it up again. Why? Because it was promised. He knew that had to happen. He come to a place of adoption where that was more real than what was standing right in front of him. And now he's coming and saying, you people. (laughs) The world doesn't like that statement. What do you mean, you people? I'm happy to identify you people, the bride of Christ. You try and take the place of God. That's not too far out. That's exactly what it is. See, Adam... In spirit form, when he received the the word of God to multiply and replenish the earth, could not yet do it in that form. But yet he was having fellowship with God in that form. In spirit form, he had dominion over the earth still. He still could have fellowship with God. He was made in the very image of God. Even though without a body, he could still have fellowship with God. But God had to make a body of the dust of the earth for him before he could separate out the feminine and bring the manifestation of the word. He re- Adam, right in the beginning, received the word of God, but yet it couldn't be manifest yet. There was a season for it. Even in eternity, where there is no time, God still has seasons. Hallelujah. That God looked at it and said, but now there's a season where I'm going to create a body. And now there's another season where it's not good for him to be alone. And he created Eve, the woman. And we know that he took it right from his side. So she was flesh of his flesh, bone of his bone. But God had to make a body of the dust of the earth so it could be manifest. And you and I were in Christ before the foundation of the world. He, though, had to become flesh. And be put into a deep sleep of death. So the feminine bride could be taken from his side. Hallelujah. Amen. The cross was not just about his blood. It was not just about taking away sins. It was so that he could take the feminist side out of the very spirit of God. Man created in the very image of God was created a spirit. Male and female created he them. And he, it was in the image of God. Now God coming down the second Adam, so that he could separate out his own spirit, out the feminist by designation, he could take the masculine back up and send the feminist back down on the church in Acts chapter 2. Amen. So she could be a recipient. So that she could be flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone. Because he had to make a way because it couldn't be flesh first. It had to be spirit first. So that he had to create in you and I the very spirit of God and bring that to a place where he would groan and travail desiring to throw off the oppression of this earthly Byproduct flesh, the byproduct of a mother and father. That's how this was born. But what's on the inside was born of the incorruptible. Amen. It's, it's the seed of the free woman, and we are free. Hallelujah. But it desires to throw off the bondage of the bond woman because we're not heirs together. Amen. We don't have any part together, but rather we're going and we, we grow and travail to be clothed with the tabernacle which is of above. Hallelujah. But now at the opening of the seals, to get back to to bring it back into this. Are you still with me? I think you are. We're doing good. At the opening of the seals, when he would talk about it, at the beginning, he would preach the breach message. When he preached that breach, it was, the, it was more than just showing that the breach was filled because it was filled 2,000 years ago, but rather it was showing that this now is the marriage ceremony. Is is being performed. Hallelujah, just like in the beginning when Eve was taken from his side and God presented her to Adam. But now, in our day, God is presenting himself a bride. And he performed the marriage ceremony there. Now a man is presented to, in the beginning when the woman was presented to a man, but now the man, the bridegroom, is presenting the woman to himself by the revelation of the seven-sealed mystery being broke open. What was the 7 seals being broke open again? It was Christ revealing himself to his bride. It was him coming to take her. Let me just read you a quote out of the Breach message. The message the Breach, it's, Uh, about halfway through it, paragraph 156, he says, and he saw one sitting there upon the throne, which had the book in his hand, in his right hand. Think of it, he says, then in this book was the title deed of redemption. It was sealed with seven seals. And then an angel come forth, a strong angel, and proclaimed with a loud voice, who was worthy to open the book or to take the book or who was able to open the seals? Who was able to open this book? See, the angel asked it, John saw it, and he said, now who who is worthy? Let him, he says, oh. he Says maybe I'm feeling this this way, but let him, the angel said, oh, here's the book of redemption. Here's the plan of redemption. Here's the only way you'll ever be redeemed. For here's the title deed of redemption of the whole of heaven and earth. He says, let him come forward if he will. Oh my, he says, now speak or forever hold his peace. Where do you hear that? In a marriage ceremony. Where he says, if anybody has anything against this couple that they may not lawfully be wedded, let him speak now or forever hold his peace. Right. And here's the prophet standing up but right before the opening of the seals. The lamb coming forward to take the book. He says, Now. That he's coming forward. If anybody is able to see why this heavenly bridegroom and this earthly bride may not be lawfully joined together, speak now or forever hold your peace. Oh, praise be to God. Oh, hallelujah. I imagine what was happening in the heavenlies at that moment when our prophet made that statement was very reminiscent of when God, Jesus Christ, walked through the the realms of hell. And no matter what every demon wanted to say, they were silent. Because the very king of glory was walking in their midst. They knew they couldn't raise a finger against him. And now the kinsman redeemer, the same king of glory, steps out to redeem his bride. You got anything to say now, devil? Not a word. He says, let him come forward and claim this book. Who's worthy to do it? John said, there's no man. In heaven found worthy. No man on earth found worthy. No man beneath the earth that ever lived or died that was ever found worthy. No man was found worthy. The angel's call was a call for the kinsman redeemer to appear. God said, I have a law. A kinsman redeemer can be a substitute. There's a kinsman redeemer who is able to take it. It wasn't just a challenge to say if someone was worthy. But it was a challenge to anyone who could speak against the union any reason. Why? Because the price was paid. Who stepped out to claim the book? A lamb as though it had been slain. The words came forth, behold, the line of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. And who stepped forth? A lamb, one that had paid the price of redemption. He had silenced every critic Silenced everyone that had any legal claim to his bride. That had anything that they could put over on her charge. Say, well, she's this and she's that. And you're not in this. And you're law and you're that. No, I've silenced it. That's right. I've paid the price. It's finished. This is a lawful union. That's right. And the seventh angel messenger performing the wedding ceremony. Of Christ and the bride, right at that crucial moment, ushering in the bride age. The breaking of the seals, the bride age coming forth. Why? Because it was, hallelujah, the marriage of the Lamb. She was no longer engaged. Now it was married. I don't call you church anymore. I call you bride. Hallelujah. He would talk about in the message paradox, he would talk about John the Baptist. He says, what did you, Jesus would say, what did you go to see a prophet? He says, I say unto you, greater than a prophet. He said he was the messenger of the covenant. And he, he makes statements here that almost seem he's talking about John, but he's not. He's actually talking about Jesus. He says, he was the breach. He was the keystone between law and grace. Right. Who'd you go out to see a prophet? He's talking about John the Baptist, but then he starts putting statements in there. He's talking about Jesus. He says, did you go to see John? John was preaching Jesus. He was showing who the Lamb of God was. He said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. How many people caught it? You didn't go out to see John. Why was his ministry so short? Why? He was just there to declare the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. Would you go to see a prophet more than a prophet? He says he was a shining light. He was the word made light. He was the word manifested, talking of Jesus. Then when he come to the scene, when Jesus come on the scene, John said, I must decrease. He must increase. Two of them couldn't stay at the same time. John had to go. Jesus remained. See, it's always got to be that way. When you have a marriage ceremony, you have a couple and you have a minister. But the minister has no part in the union. He's the mouthpiece for the vows. But a union and holy matrimony is between a man, a woman, and God. Right at the time of the corporal coming of the bridegroom, when Jesus Christ came to earth, there was a prophet to introduce. There was a prophet of introduction, I'll say, to introduce the keystone, Jesus Christ. The bridegroom. As Christ came on the scene, though, the profit decreased. So was it, I'll say, that week in 1963 when a man stood there and declared the bridegroom has stepped out to claim his bride. What was he doing by claiming that book of redemption? He was claiming his bride. He was doing the work of redemption. He was saying, every name that's written in this Lamb's Book of Life, it's mine. I've paid for it. This is my bride. Hallelujah. He, just like we got the, the story, the allegory of Ruth and Boaz. We could preach on that for hours, but we won't. But, but, but here he steps forth to claim his bride. And night after night, that week in March of 1963, night after night, breaking those seals. What was he doing? Declaring himself to his purchased possession. Declaring himself to his purchase possession. And the mouthpiece of the vow, the prophet, was decreasing, but the word of God goes on stronger than ever before, even today. Hallelujah, even though the prophet's been gone for decades, it says it's, it's not about that anymore. He performed the vow. It's about the word of the bridegroom now coming and being made manifest in the bride. Amen. And the words that were spoken by the prophet are more real today than they were when they were spoken. Yeah, that's right. Oh, praise be to God. Let me just make that very real to you for a moment. When you take a, a couple and they come up here and they make their vows before one another and they begin to say things as they're standing there. The best day of their life. Everything is perfect. There is nothing going wrong. And the words of the vow made by the couple at the altar, they're not really realized in that moment. Because everyone's at their best. When the vacation honeymoon is on their mind, and they say, where you lodge, I will lodge. Sure, we're going to Hawaii. Sounds great. Or we're going down to the shoe swaps, or we're going wherever, Bahamas. It's amazing. Where you lodge, I'll lodge. Wonderful. Praise God. He's got to take me with him. And the words begin to come out standing there holding hands at the altar. Your God will be my God. Looking into each other's eyes. Just rose-colored glasses on. Not a disagreement on the word at all. Not seeing anything at all on a different level. Just so that person is perfectly. When you're sitting there, standing there at the altar, the guy stands on this side. I'll stand over here. And he's standing there. He's not looking at her thinking, oh, she's not perfect yet. No, she's perfect. She's everything. She's the perfect Christian. She's the perfect, oh man, like I wish everybody was, she's just the best. Your God will be my God, of course. You don't realize what that is yet. When you're standing there before all, when all the trials and the woes of a relationship come, when hard decisions are made, when you made that vow and you said, in sickness or in health, you're in perfect health standing there at your wedding going, of course, he's the strongest guy I've ever met. He'll never be sick the realization of it hasn't quite struck. But then, when he's got that dreaded man cold, reality kicks in. When she's going through labor, not not that the two are comparable, they're not. I, I disagree, I don't think they are. I'm a man saying that. Sorry, Brother Ed, we disagree on this one. But when... When she's going through labor, all of a sudden it kicks in. Oh, man. I did this to her. Why is it so quiet now? Because the vows become reality. When you get back home and you got to move into the house and you were raised on an acreage all your life and he bought you an old house in the middle of the city where you lodge. I will lodge. When he's promised to build you a house, but for now he's got you in a fifth wheel outside. Where you lodge, I will lodge. It starts to become reality now. Those rose-colored glasses that were up there at the altar start to go, (laughs) but it's real. When it's happening that day, and as God is beginning to reveal himself, He's being to make himself known by revealing the seven seals and pulling the seals off, showing this is who I am to you. Oh, when you're just a babe in Christ, it's the most wonderful, joyous thing. You can jump up and down and worship and just rejoice in some of these revelations. But when you come to a place of maturity and you've been through some trials and you know what it is to really trust in God, when your livelihood gets taken away from you and you've got nothing but the Lord to rely upon, all of a sudden that vow becomes real. I'm Jehovah Jireh that provides all your needs. When the doctors come and say, you've got cancer and there's nothing we can do for you, I'm the Lord that healeth all thy sicknesses and diseases. That vow becomes a reality now. When your family turns their back on you, says, "I don't want nothing to do with you." You're walking according to this cult. You're this. You're that. We don't want you. You don't believe it like you should. That vow becomes real at that moment. When you realize He's all that I need. He's my father, he's my mother, my sister, my brother. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. How are we doing? I gotta close. Let me just bring it back a step and then we'll step forward again. I want you to just catch this. By the restoration of the gifts in the Pentecostal age, The church became engaged to Christ. LeBronum would say in things that are to be, he says, Wesley's message, or he says, Wesley's message, he couldn't take what Luther preached. Luther believed in justification. Wesley had sanctification. The Pentecostals come along. They couldn't take just justification and sanctification. It was the time for the restoration of the gifts. God has seasons. He says, now we're going, but he says, now we're going from that. Not that we leave the gifts off, but he says, this isn't the time anymore. The restoration, the gifts are restored. We're going on from that. This is in another place in the message oneness. He says, now the church, now, this is oneness. Oneness was preached in 1962. February eleventh of nineteen sixty two says now the church is engaged to Christ for the wedding. He says the wedding has yet to be has has never been performed yet. Remember we talked about that. that's in the breach. He makes a statement here where he says it will be at the wedding supper of the Lamb. That's when it will be manifested in flesh, just like Adam when it was spirit then it had to take on flesh. Now it's in spirit by revelation, then it will take on flesh at the catching away the marriage supper of the lamb. So now we see the church is now engaged like a man engaged to his wife. What does he do when they're engaged? He's just bestowing all kinds of things, sending her presents, making her feel good. Well, that's what Christ is doing to his church. He's sending us gifts of the spirit. How can you be engaged when you're denying these gifts exist? That's the very love tokens. Amen. They exist. They're there. They're still in the body. Nowhere do I find that God took them away. Therefore, they do not need to be re-restored again. They've been restored. Amen. They're here. Praise the Lord. But he says that these signs shall follow them that believe. It's God's token to the church. He says, now keep those things in mind. The church must believe every word, every promise, every iota and claim it for themselves and exercise themselves in it. If I was engaged to a girl and I was a single man, I'd send her something, an engagement ring that she could wear it, that she shows that she, we know that. You'll have a sister that'll walk like this all her life, but when she's engaged, she walks like this. Why? Because she's got a ring on her finger. She wants to show. She, knows she wants to, everyone to recognize, hey, I'm engaged now. Look, I've got another piece of jewelry on my finger, something that means something. It wasn't just a dollar store thing. I hope not, brother, have mercy. But it wasn't just something else, but it was something that means something. It's got value to it, not because of how much he spent on it, but because of what it meant. Praise be to God. It's something that that has a promise behind it. The promise behind the gift of the ring is that there will be a wedding. Hallelujah. We're not worldly couples. Trust me. I know the worldly couples where they're engaged. And they're engaged. And they're engaged. And next year they're engaged. And the year after that they're engaged. And when's your wedding? We don't know yet. What was the point? That's right. The point is to get married. Yeah, yeah. Praise be to God, the reason you gave her that ring was because there's another ring coming, one that is given at the token at the wedding ceremony. Yeah. Praise be to God, it's the same thing in the spiritual. Why did God give the gifts? It wasn't just so we could rejoice in the gifts. Though the gifts are wonderful, we rejoice in them and we could show it off. My wife still wears her engagement ring. And I'm super happy she does because it's attached to her wedding ring. Hallelujah. It's attached. You can't separate them. It's not something that's different. It's not something that you could take apart and say, well, today I'm married and I'll get the gifts later. No. It's something that goes together. Praise be to God. But she doesn't have to go around and show everybody, I've got a ring. I've got a ring. Where's the guy? He's in Grand Prairie. No. I'm going home with him. When I leave tonight she's going home with me. Or because I'm preaching more accurately, I'm going home with her because she's going to (laughs) drive. But that's just, that's the reality of it. When it becomes marriage, it's not so much look at my ring, look at my ring. No, it's I've got a husband now. And guess what happens then? I've got children now. There's something that begins to be manifested because of a union. Because the bride and the Christ become one. They begin to make real sons and daughters of God. Hallelujah. In the days of Pentecost, restoring back of the gifts, the restoration of the gifts, speaking in tongues, casting out devils, the gifts. Why? It testified. He says there was no joke about it. People said when the first... When it first raised up, they said, "Oh, I'll read the book of a history of Pentecost. They said, it can't last long. It'll burn down. It's still burning. Why? It's because you'll never put it out. God said it would be there. Hallelujah. It's that portion of the word. No more could you put it out. And then when the bride is called out, going beyond an engagement, when the bride now, now we're talking about marriage, when the bride is called out, how are you going to put it out? It's the revelation of the manifestation of the Word made true. And we're living in that day. Hallelujah. We're not living in the day of the restoration of gifts anymore. They've been restored. We're living in the day when the Word is being made manifest. Real, pure lives. Undefiled before God. Manifesting the Word of God in this day. This is the rapture season. Amen. Praise be to God, the revelation of the mystery of his self. God putting his self together. Amen. Hallelujah. A mystical people now married, you become a mystical person to the world. Rapturing faith is the revelation. Of your eternal reality. Rapturing faith is the revelation of your eternal reality. That what's groaning on the inside desires to be clothed with an eternal body, something more suitable that can handle how it wants to travel. This body can't travel in a thought. But the spirit in me can. And it desires a body that can. Hallelujah. This mind can't fathom the riches of God. The depths of his wisdom. The knowledge. The revelation that's in him. This mind can't handle it. But I have a body that has a mind that can. And the spirit that's in me. The portion of God that I have the same quality that was in Christ, but the bottom would say, it desires to make itself manifest, groaning that I could come to a revelation, that I could come to a reality of what it's trying to manifest. Let's stand to our feet. Yes. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, what an awesome God. If you look up the term in the Bible, I will. It's said in a marriage ceremony, I will. Do you take this, man? I do, I will. If you look up the term I will in the Bible, it's said 3,834 times. It's a love letter. This is his vow to you. I will. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, I want to see him look upon his face. There to sing forever of his saving grace. Oh, I want to see
0: him look upon his face. And there to sing forever of his saving grace. And on the streets of glory, let me lift my voice. All oh, cares all past. I'm home at last ever to rejoice. And as I journey through this land, singing as I go, pointing souls to Calvary to that crimson flow. his face and there to sing see... for
1: Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I, sh- I should read this, this quote. This is the inspiration behind the title, so I should probably read it. On the day of Pentecost, we find the Holy Spirit, the pillar of fire, separating itself, masculine from feminine, and setting upon each member of the church God putting himself together. Then with this group of people together, what does it do? It brings back the unified body of the Lord Jesus coming together. Joined in heavenly wedlock to the eternal God. A part of Him. A part of God. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. How we're looking. And it says that He might present to Himself a bride. That he would present to himself a bride, a glorious church without spot, without wrinkle. Ali, why don't we sing that course of that and then we'll pray and be dismissed? A glorious church without spot or wrinkle. Same key, I think.
0: Tis a glorious church without spot, spot or wrinkle.